let's say that you're in ministry and out of the blue, out of nowhere, you have lost your job. And let's say that even the circumstances surrounding you losing your job made things a little bit difficult. In fact, maybe so difficult that maybe you don't really want to be in vocational ministry anymore. But how do you figure that out? What do you do next? How do you do that? Well, today we are going to be talking to the founder and CEO of Pastoral Transitions, which is the ministry that has put out this podcast, Life After Ministry podcast. We're going to be talking to founder and CEO Bill Tom to talk about how did this whole thing start anyway and the unique circumstance that kept showing up at his door that led him to the point where he realized, I think I need to do something about it. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with my good friend and ministry partner, Bill Tom. Hey, well, welcome to the Life After Ministry podcast. My name is Matt Davis, and I'm here with my lovely bride, Marilyn. Say hi. Hello. There you go. And we have the wonderful opportunity to uh, really get to have a good conversation with uh, a guy that I get to work with, but I would say is also a friend, and that is Bill Tom. Bill, will you say hi? Hey, glad to be here, Matt, Merrily. Yeah. Great that uh, you guys are together doing this. Yeah, Thank so- you for that. Bill, this is uh, the Life After Ministry podcast, but really the the Life After Ministry podcast is a ministry of pastoral transitions, of which you are the acclaimed CEO. But as we were talking earlier, you're not just the CEO, you have a different title, and this was very important to you. What was that? Yeah, my, my other title is Chief Ministry Officer, because, you know, I come from a marketplace background. I started life in uh, as my first job I was design engineer for HP. I I encountered Christ at Berkeley of all places at school. You know, so I went into the workplace being all on fire for God, and uh, really I felt restrained in terms of how I manifest that at work. So I was a guy who was just building connections with people, and after I discover that they're oh hey here's another uh, uh, Christ follower. You know, I'd be the guy running around starting Bible studies in the corporate conference room. So my entire career has been peppered with marketplace ministry. So, yeah, I'm one of those guys who you, you're not just in ministry because you're a pastor or a missionary, but you are a marketplace minister, as we're all called to be. And that's where uh, I think God's expectations of us to live out the Great Commission takes place in the marketplace. I love the side that uh, had one of my, uh, in this one church I, I had where as you were exiting the parking lot, the sign says you are now entering your ministry field, right? So yeah. it doesn't matter what your profession is, you, know, you could be a janitor, housewife, engineer, you're, you're in workplace ministry. Yeah. So one, one of the things that um, we want to do and establish just really from the very beginning is... Uh, I, who who is the who behind pastoral transitions and how is this whole thing how did it get started because really this was not my idea this was yours yeah well actually i like to think it was god's idea but the genesis of all that was that uh, i had developed a business advisory leadership firm that i've had for 25 years and uh, I was blessed with that. I got to work with uh, CEOs, business owners, helping them grow their business. Uh, but a lot of that focus was around leadership. 
I used to tell him that, you know, with the right people, you can do anything. Uh, and the key is finding and grooming those right people. Also, the opposite is true. If you have the wrong, wrong people, you're not going anywhere. So a lot of our firm was focused around leadership development, executive coaching. We eventually got into executive search where we were able to help help the firm find a missing cog and, and uh, bring them to the team, someone who really meshed not with the enterprise long-term vision, but also the personalities, the corporate culture, the values that uh, the leaders would have. So, and in the course of doing that, because uh, we had that executive search title uh, and we were pretty well networked in Southern California, I get people referred to me all the time. Hey, Bill, can you help my buddy out? He was a former VP of operations and he got let go. He hasn't looked for a job in 20 years. You know, doesn't know where his resume is. Can you help him out? So uh, we always treated these as ministry opportunities for us to come alongside individuals, be very generous with them. I'd pull them into my office. We, I'd hear their story, review their, their career, the transitions. Uh, I'd pray for them. Uh, regardless of what their, their background was, they, they were always very um, uh, thankful for that. Um, we helped them reestablish their, their calling, their passions, passions and, and helped them transition into the next phase of their career. But we were known to be a faith-based firm in Southern California. So for whatever reason, God began sending pastors through my door. And every time I sat down with a pastor, I literally cried after hearing their story. And there's two reasons why I did that. Number one, I cried for the state of the pastor and their family. You know, the, you could tell the pastor was depressed. There's trauma. Oftentimes the spouse requires counseling. The kids are wondering, you know, why can't I see my friends anymore at, at the previous church? You know, there's lots of aspects of what a pastor goes through a transition that just makes it unique from other people who have transition in their vocation. First of all, there's no other vocation where your identity is so tied to that role. I mean, for people that go into past, pastor uh, vocation, it's a calling from God, right? Um, and it, it just encompasses so much of your life, your your world, your relationships outside of, quote, quote, you know, the eight to five, it's still all around that vocation. So when you get torn from that, you know, I liken it to a husband and wife, um, you know, who are in Christ being torn, being divorced, right? There's a spiritual tearing. So the the trauma and the damage that takes place is on so many different levels. The second reason why I cry is for the church and for the leadership who conducted this transition in such a way such that it, it caused division within the church. And I'm all about Number one, I'm all about uh, loving on, on the church. I love the church. Um, and my desire is that is for there to be love and unity in the midst of that, even through transitions. So, you know, I felt that there was a need for, for uh, church leadership to really um, be given some guidance that where these transitions aren't necessarily governed by the biggest voice in the room, that being the labor lawyer. Um, which causes it to be so dispassionate. That was the genesis of the idea. That was the context. And when the pandemic hit, I looked around and um, it was God putting me on pause. And I asked, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do for the fourth quarter of my life? And what came to mind was this area of working with churches, working with pastors, 
in helping them conduct these transitions in such a way such that the church is is growing and multiplying and not being divided. I, I personally love so much that you don't come to pastoral transitions from vocational ministry, because I, I would imagine that most people that, you know, come to pastoral transitions or know, you know, that the organization exists would assume that it was started, the genesis of it, as you would say, was from you know, a couple of pastors who had come out of ministry. Burned, burned pastors, yeah, right? Burned They're pastors. all angry uh-huh. and want to get back yeah. at everybody. And so I love that that, that isn't, that's not your story. That's not the environment and the background that you were coming from, but you had a sensitive heart and you saw a need and God put an idea in your mind and you started to run with it. I, I think that's so cool. And a lot of times when people are saying, um, so why did you start pastoral transitions? <laughs> I'm always very quick. Like, no, 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 I didn't start it. It wasn't me. It was this guy. And I blame it on you okay. every single time. But I'm, I was <laughs> even curious for you, Mayor, um, was, you know, when I, we were actually in, uh, in Alabama braving our first tornadoes um, ever. Yes. Thought we were going to die. But that was really the first conversation that we had, I had with Bill. Um, I had to actually go off this little island that we were on back to the mainland so we could have a conversation so we have enough Wi-Fi to do that, which is really funny. And then I came back and I told you, hey, I talked to this guy and this is what he's thinking. What was going through your head when you heard some of that? I mean, I think it was, I think I was shocked that there was someone out there that actually saw the need that hadn't come out of the need. Like, I mean, we were certainly aware of some of the deficits and how the transition, our own personal transition out of ministry was happened, happened. But I, I did, it never occurred to me that there would be someone who hadn't actually gone through it, who might from the outside, in a sense, uh, recognize, my goodness, there's like, there's a problem here and there's, there's a need. Yeah. So Bill, what, what were some of the needs? What are some of the needs that you see in pastors uh, coming out of ministry? What are, and maybe, maybe it's not even that they are trying to find a new job and go work at Home Depot. Maybe they're going into another ministry. But what, what is kind of like if there's a through line in some of the needs that you do see coming out, um, how, how do we help pastors initially? You know, the context of which the pastors are sent to me is under the context of, hey, uh, you know, help them look, look for a job. And that could be, you know, still within their their vocation as a pastor, or it could be something else. You know, Barnard Research, um, most famously, have been doing this annual survey, and current survey shows that on average, two out of every five pastors who are currently pastors have been actively thinking about leaving the profession. And, you know, no surprise there if you look at the church today and all the challenges that has certainly the pandemic was part of it but you know with uh, national politics and and critical race theory all these things that are impacting the church a lot of pastors they didn't cover this in seminary right a lot and <laughs> yeah. yeah um so you know and, and unfortunately that divisiveness has manifested itself in the congregation so it's just been very challenging for for pastors um but yet there's such a need for for people, spiritual generals, to really uh, lead God's people. So when I sit down with them, that's really one of the first things that that we talk about. You know, what what is your current calling now? And sometimes they're just too hurt to be able to think about that. But you know, we we help them identify that uh, that you know there is some centeredness that they need to have, and, and also some self awareness. The best leaders I've ever come across and worked with or even been being mentored with are just incredibly self-aware of who they are. 
uh, their identity, their purpose, uh, their skills and talents, their passions, and they navigate life with with that level of clarity. And as a result of that, they're just you know, significantly more successful and happier, quite frankly, than than others who sometimes get just ushered and just kind of fell into a particular location. So we spend time just exploring that. Do is it something that they want to continue to do? Is there a calling there? Or is, you know, are they open to exploring something else? So I put them through a sense, uh, a, a number of um, uh, assessments to help them be more self-aware. These are multifaceted, multidimensional. There are a lot of different assessments out there. The assessments that we use are um, research-oriented because it needs to withstand the, the test of labor court. You know, historically, we worked with uh, a lot of different corporations for talent selection uh, to identify people, uh, what their strengths, skills, weaknesses are, capabilities, and, and therefore fit within an organization. Now, this is one of the funny things about you, Bill, is to know you and, and spend some time with you, um, you, you do love a good Excel spreadsheet. Um, you love the charts, you love the analytics, you have a very analytical engineering kind of mind and some of your flow chart uh, abilities are unbelievable. I've, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, but it also, what, what I love about you is, <laughs> it almost caught me off guard when I heard like that when you started to work with pastors and you would hear their stories that you would weep, um, that you have, because we don't often think like, oh, the guy that does all the spreadsheets and has all of the, the analytics piece that, that oftentimes we, we think like the bankers and the numbers people, they don't, they don't have a heart. Um, but you, you do have a really good balance of what all that looks like. Um, how, do you, how do you pull those two together in the midst of the analyzing to also care for somebody? Yeah, certainly it's the engineering background that causes me to have that analytical side for sure. It also helps me to have more uh, objective um, uh, perspective as well. And not to not to let emotions or or certain affinities sway me one one way or another. So yeah, just understanding what what the what reality is, what facts are, are, are very important to me. But you know, I uh, a lot of the leadership that I've uh, leadership development I've uh, administered and guided people with is really centered around you know Christ and servant leadership. You know, there's a humility there that's so, so uh, required. Uh, that allows us to be able to receive input from others in, in an objective manner and, and for us to be able to test that to see whether or not we embrace that. And we're certainly called to do that. Uh, things that we hear, you know, we're called to test that against Scripture uh, as iron sharpens iron. But, uh, you know, working with people that... Uh, that are looking to navigate life, having clarity of who they are is just so important. Uh, but there needs to be empathy as well. I mean, the the, you know, what, you know, the shortest you know, verse in the Bible, right? Jesus wept. Oh, that's huge. I mean, he didn't have to do that. He's God, right? But yet he has such empathy, you know, for those around him. Uh, you know, that's something that I, I think we, you know, we all need. And I felt that... Uh, really with really strong leaders, you know, they have that capability of having uh, emotional intelligence and be able to empathize and understand. And you really need that to be able to understand the other side's perspective. 
besides going through assessments and kind of figuring out you know where their strengths are and what are what are some of the blind spots that they might have um, what are some of the other pieces that we work through with them um, I remember coming out of ministry I went into ministry as a full-timer um, at 21 years old and didn't come out until I was 43 and so my previous job experience was like I was like a camp counselor uh, I, I had a stint as a pizza delivery driver and I survived as a math tutor for one day um, so I didn't have a, a nice long lineage of really professional jobs and now you know 22 years later trying to figure out what am I gonna do um, how do we actually get people ramped up for some of that and even just trying to figure out like what are those transferable skills um, I can talk and I know theology and have a seminary seminary degree but what good is that in the marketplace? Right, and, and one great thing about these assessments is that it does break down who we are in terms of individual skills, uh, our affinities, our values, what motivates us, uh, how clearly we see the world. So these are all different characteristics of who we are, and it kind of breaks, breaks it down to you know, the raw elements of who we are. Um, and it's kind of like a Lego set, right? You, it, it, you know, the Legos were built around this pastor persona, but these assessments gives us the capability of breaking it down to these individual blocks, individual skills, characteristics, attributes. Uh, you know, the, the only non-scientific assessment we, we use, but we use it uh, prevalently, is a spiritual gifts assessment as well, too. And I'm always surprised at how a lot of Christ-centered organizations don't utilize that to help select individuals, you know, for leadership or specific roles within the church or the organization. But, you know, these are all things that gives us a little bit of truth of who we are. But with these, you know, in breaking down, you know, using that Lego analogy, which my son loves, and I've spent way too much money on that, we can then take these Legos and say, hey, with these skill sets, gee, you're great at at communicating, you're great at influencing people, you're great at conflict management. We can then reconstruct these Legos into different personas. And these personas are essentially become different roles, different vocations. So in the course of me working with pastors, I've been um, you know, successfully able to help them identify other vocations that leverages their skill sets and allows them to, to flourish in these other roles. Sometimes those roles are still within the context of ministry. You know, I work with pastors that, you know, have, have um, transitioned to nonprofits, even started nonprofits, uh, as well as helping them even transition to marketplace vocations, whether that be um, in, in financial circles, legal circles, uh, counseling circles, uh, and be able to really find fulfillment uh, in these specific areas. And, and one perspective that I really try to uh, provide to, to pastors is, you know, a division, you know, that to remove the division between sacred and secular. You know, we're all called, called to be ministers uh, of, of the gospel, and it's therefore possible for you to be a marketplace minister to be doing God's work. Uh, just to tell you a quick story, my, my mother, who unfortunately passed away about five years ago for a long time I was trying to get her to get a living trust right uh, and every time I would do that she would buff me she'd accuse me of you know wanting her money or whatever which is totally uh, untrue I just wanted her to be prepared because I was the eldest I knew I was going to be managing her estate 
So finally, one day, after years of just nagging her, she dropped this binder on me, and I, and she says, "This is my my will." And I says, "Okay, uh, you need a living trust, not just a will." I'll put it up. It's a living trust, <laughs> right? So I said, "Okay, who's this lawyer? Let's go see him." So we did, and when I sat down well with this guy with my mom. Uh, I said, gosh, there's something familiar about you. What, you know, uh, do you, have you always been doing this? He goes, no, prior to this, I was a pastor. I said, really? A pastor? Which church? You know, Cumberland Presbyterian. I said, oh my gosh, that's why you're familiar, because that's the very first church I ever attended, right? So then I asked him, why did you leave, quote unquote, the ministry of being a pastor to do this? Mm. And he says, you know what, Bill? I minister, I talk to people every single day. And these are people that would never darken the doorway of a church. But I'm able to minister to them, to to care for them, to love on them, and to essentially be the fragrance of Christ in the marketplace to them. Uh, and and every time I encounter them, you know, I want them to be attracted to Christ. And if opportunity allows, I'm able to share of my faith, but I'm able to guide them. And these are people again that would never darken the doorway of a church. So I love that, and that's why. The church in the marketplace is, is so important. That's where the church is manifested, not within the four walls of the church, but in our vocation. And again, that vocation could be anything. It's, you know, as a housewife, as a custodian, engineer, an accountant, a banker, right? Your ministry, your marketplace is wherever God places you in the world. I have a question. Um, back in the days when you were meeting with, you were noticing pastors coming in for counseling. What did you notice about like the spiritual state of the guys that were coming in? Like, are these guys coming in like they're excited to go out to the marketplace? They un- already understand there might be a place for them there, or are they? I mean, are, are they even able to get to that point, or are they still kind of reeling from the fact, like, oh my gosh, like what am I going to do? I, I, or am I going to go back into like vocational ministry, like? Do they have clarity on those kinds of things when they first come to see you, or is that something that you work with them with? There, there's certainly a journey of healing um, that takes place after one's been let go, and it really depends. You know, it could be any point in time during that healing process that they get referred to me, certainly before they they land another position. Um, but for most of them, yeah, they're 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 still hurt. There's no question that there's hurt, and. You know, unfortunately, a lot of times our conversations is kind of centered around that particular, uh, you know, the event itself and the consequences of that and how it's impacting them and their family and the marriage. And, you know, that's, you know, and that's where their needs are. They need to be able to to vocalize this. And there I'm kind of, you know, acting as a, a counselor, you know, a shoulder to lean on. Um, and... And for me, be able to, you know, to empathize with that and, and truly try to understand that, um, that's, that's so important. Um, my, 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 my business partner and also my wife, she has an MFT background. So I attribute a lot of whatever counseling techniques I have to, to her. So she's been great in terms of, uh, being a model for that. That's awesome. uh, so, but it's it's a it's a tough thing though, and and we we not only serve men coming out of ministry, we we serve women coming out of ministry also. But it is a unique thing for a guy um, who really I, I think a lot of us we have a lot of our identity for good or for bad is wrapped up in our ability to care for and provide for our family. Yes, right. And so 
um, there is a crossroads and a, almost a desperation. If you don't have that, I mean, there are planned successions and you're saying, I think I'm, I'm done with ministry. I'm not sure what I want to do, but I'm going to take the next year and try to figure that out. And then there's some people where, um, and we talk about this a little bit, where it, they've been blindsided. They didn't know that this was coming. The rug has been pulled out from underneath them and they're trying to figure out, oh Lord, what's next? And there is a desperation. I will do just about anything. We could have a whole podcast on odd jobs that I worked <laughs> in between. Lordy. Oh Lordy, we don't want to do that. <laughs> Maybe a not. Very, very sad we'll revisit podcast. Revisit those sad days. Yeah. But um, it, it, you, you really get to step in and, and really the, the place that you help to meet uh, the people that we're working with is in that place of, of forging um, that new road for their career. How are they going to provide for their, their family? And it's a really, um, it can be and feel like a very desperate um, place to be in, I think. Um, so I, I think it's crucial, helpful work that you're doing. You know, the, the, the worst thing that, that you have that is born of a lot of fear is fearing the unknown. What's next, right? Uh, and why I feel like my role is to serve as light and and somebody who can carry that lamp and and help illuminate the steps going forward. I would also say it like a fear of being alone in the process, like having to figure out all the next steps by yourself while you're you're processing if there was trauma in the exit from the church or like in a way you're right. you're you're offering to walk alongside someone and helping to carry that burden for them and, and point them in the right direction and they're not having to do it all themselves. Right. No, a absolutely. Uh, again, just understanding the the different levels that they're impacted and not just them but the entire family. So that's why the the, the genesis of uh, pastoral transitions, you know, I began to see that there's a real need and I saw that these pastors, there really was nobody for them to turn to. One of the most, uh, unfortunately, one of the most hurtful things that they experience is people that they were close to within the church, that they've done life with, that they've served in the church with. You know, at, at best, those relationships become strained when the pastor leaves, and at worst case, it's crickets. And I, I've literally heard that term a number of times from pastors, crickets. And that in itself is just so hurtful. Just be able, just cutting off a relationship that you thought was so valuable to you. Yeah, I, I call so, it the it, Uriah complex, right? It's like you've, you, everybody's here. We're all in the front lines together. Let's go. Well, and they say go, and then you turn around, and everybody's well, still back there, and you find yourself out and alone, and you can take a lot of arrows um, in the process of doing that. And that's why I think um, it, this is a unique thing. And you've taught me a lot, especially in the business world, of, of how some of this works. But in in the business world, out there in the real world, right, um, there is this thing called outplacement services that when you lay somebody off, you let somebody go, um, that there's a severance package. I'd heard of a severance package before. Uh, I really never heard of this this concept of of outplacement services. And you have taken that and really we've kind of put out there a, a new paradigm of how to look at this. And because where severance is like, well, here's your money and vacation. You have Cobra, you know, insurance for a little while. Um, outplacement is something altogether different. And so I want you to just give us, because we, we're going to wrap up here in a second, but what, what is outplacement services? And then how do we do that different? And what is kingdom outplacement services? Yeah, so typical uh, marketplace outplacement services is all centered around career search, looking for your next job. So that may include uh, access to to 
jobs databases. Obviously, now we have the internet, and that's that's uh, we have lots of different resources there. But there's a career coach, somebody that you can talk to about your career. If you're thinking about switching to different industries, reapplying your skill sets into different roles, uh, they do that for them. However, in working with pastors, there's so much more going on. There's a uh, you know there's a spiritual ache there. You know, as a result of you know the spiritual tearing being torn away from the church. So I really felt that, you know, having a Jonathan or a Barnabas, you know, somebody that can journey with you who has, they themselves gone through a similar transition. That was so important. Uh, and that's the reason why I reached out to you, Matt, because, you know, you've gone through that uh, yourself. Yeah, and, and lived to tell about it is what I say. <laughs> yeah, and you lived to tell about it. And it, it, was, it, it was kind of neat that the person who referred you to me was on the board of elders that uh, was, you know, that uh, that let you go. Um, and, and, and by the way, I just want to really emphasize that uh, we, we are not here to to bake on uh, church leadership elders. I have a lot of compassion for them. Every church leader I've come across that has been part of this transition uh, decision, they all want to do what's right. They're all godly men and, and women, and they want to do what's right. So I just want to mention that. But with Kingdale outplacement, it's all centered around career, but you know, I felt that there was a spiritual aspect. So being able to provide pastoral coaching was important. Uh, I knew that uh, there was a lot of trauma, a lot of things that were going on from you know deep rooted issues in the marriage, you know things going on with the kids. So I really felt that uh, certified counseling was necessary. Uh, financial uh, coaching, you know, nobody <laughs> let's face it, nobody becomes a pastor for the money. Uh, and a, a lot of church leaders aren't aware. I mean, I wasn't aware, and I've been in church leadership that uh, pastors, most of them, don't get unemployment when they get let go uh, because they work for a nonprofit. You know, that's an optional tax that they pay, and oftentimes they don't. You know, and and my gosh, if part of your compensation was housing, you know, now you're displaced as well. So. From a financial counseling uh, standpoint, I felt that we needed to include some services there. So what Pastoral Transitions does with what we call Kingdom Outplacements is that, you know, these are services that that the church leadership provides as a as part of their severance and really a sign of, of love and, and grace upon that outgoing pastor and their family to provide them so that they holistically can can not just find another job, but also go through some healing process as well. Uh, that that extends not just to the pastor, but also the spouse and potentially the family itself. And in doing so, our objective is to help help the uh, help the pastor redefine their their identity, their vocation, their calling, and help them be on the path of healing to such a point where they can clearly see what God's next step is for them in serving the kingdom. Yeah, and so what we're advocating for is, um, you know, I think a lot of churches say, well, we gave a generous severance package, and um, we feel like we've done our part um, as part of the church to, you know, we we let them go, we were kind, we had like a cake after the service, and, and they have a generous severance package. What we're saying is that we are going beyond that and saying, alongside of a generous severance package, we also want to be able to say uh, that here are outplacement services alongside that severance package that are going to help you with your career, vocational discernment, it's going to help you with coaching and financial coaching, life and leadership coaching, and then also with with all of the counseling pieces with that. And those are all of the pieces that come together to be able to help them in their next step. And we think that if we can do this, then what will happen? 
What's the outcome of that? The outcome is what I would call a successful tr a transition. And I think it's important to recognize that with any transition, there are a number of different stakeholders. There's, of course, the outgoing pastor and their family. There's the church leadership. There's also the congregation that is observing, watching this. Uh, and ultimately, there's God. And if at the end of the day, a transition can take place in such a loving, grace-filled manner, such that all four of these parties can reflect back and say, that was a successful transition, then that's what divides it. Oftentimes, we look at transition strictly from the church leadership standpoint. And, but if we were to query the pastor or family, you know, it's a train wreck, right? And they are, you know, they are the train wreck. Uh, and the congregation, you know, unfortunately, a lot, a lot of times the way they're conducted, you know, there's there's resentment, there's division. You know, uh, I've come across situations where sometimes the congregation wasn't even told about this transition or they were told very little, in which case, you know, because of the lack of transparency, now there's all these conspiracy theories of what takes place. And of course, worst case, there's church division. Yeah, I always remember Matt talking about how when pastors are onboarded. It's this holy process. There's so much prayer about it. The, the congregation is notified, you know, we're looking for a new position and pray that God will bring the right person. And then they find the right person and he's anointed and prayed over, you know, in the service. And there's this sense of care and reverence and holiness to bringing someone on. And yet a lot of the time, the process of letting someone go or transition is very HR. And I think also anytime that you can look out at the marketplace and say that a secular company is doing something better than the church, I think that should cause us to pause and be like, wait a minute, like as the body of Christ, like we should, we should be able to transition our pastors and our, you know, our staff members better, more loving in a way that is more edifying than what the secular world can do. And I, I think that's one thing that I personally love about the heart of this ministry is like, we can do better, like we can do better. And how do we practically start to, you know, make that happen? And a guiding verse yeah, for us. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah, I was going to say that that's so true, Marilee. I mean, we're, 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 we actually call each other brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Mm. So I, I tend to take that pretty seriously. I know that when one of my family members, like, you know, if one of my kids, one of my daughters goes off and moves away, you know, I know that that God has a a a future for the for my child, right? Uh, and I want to love them on the way out, uh, even though they're no longer going to be living in my residence. And akin to that, shouldn't we love on pastors who have served us, who was called by God to to do what what they're doing, uh, and to continue to you know to continue to have that loving relationship? So. You know, maintaining that 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 filial connection, that familial connection, is is so important, and to be able to love them on the way out. So we work with church leadership in helping them. Well, how does that manifest, right? You know, and how do you 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 embody that within the congregation, such that you're encouraging the congregation to continue to have a relationship with that outgoing pastor, even though they don't you don't see them on a regular basis, but we're still brothers and sisters in Christ. So, you know, I encourage them to, to really have it from that perspective and then to radiate that within the congregation. 
Yeah, it's, um, I mean, really a, a guiding verse for us has always been John 13, right? That we would be known by our love. And this is honestly the first time I ever thought about this, but that that on-ramp and that onboarding, it feels like um, we welcome somebody in. And I, I was thinking about a castle and like the knighting ceremony, like we now dub you knight, right? And they take the sword and like, you are in, you're part of the kingdom, you have position, this is glory, you have power, there's authority here, and you are loved by the people of this kingdom. And oftentimes on the exit, <laughs> it's uh, we're, we're escort you. I just have this picture of like the person just kind of walking out the gates of the castle and like just kind of where am I going? What's next? And I think where we show up is we're, we're there to meet somebody at the gates of the castle and walk them to whatever that is that's next. And, and to also to, to love that original castle and tell them this is how we do it. And sometimes I think people just feel like they got thrown into the dungeon. And so we don't want that either. And so, hey, Bill, um, this is great. Uh, and we talk about this all the time and I wish we could talk even more, but, and we will in, in time to come. Um, thank you for starting this. Thank you for reaching out to me um, and, and really just that, that God put this on your heart in this ministry. Uh, it is a ministry of reconciliation and it's a, it's a good thing that we're doing and it's an honor to be able to do it with you. Appreciate you. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you, uh, Holy Spirit, for, for planning this and being the genesis for, for this. And thank you, Matt, for your willingness to uh, to to be a soldier in, in this ministry uh, for us. So I love our dynamic. I love the gifts and talents you bring to this. And these are gifts and talents I don't have. Um, and I love that. Uh, I love what Merrily's brought to this as well, too. Um, it's thank it's you. awesome. So praise God. Well, thanks, Bill. God's assembled a good team. Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on. Appreciate you. All right. Blessings. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Life After Ministry podcast. If you are navigating a ministry transition or you're in a ministry leadership role and you see a change on the horizon, the worst thing you could do is do this alone. We have two Facebook groups that are designed just for you. One is called Life After Ministry, and it's a group that offers community and support for those who are in transition. The other one is called The Elder Hub, and it's a resource center for ministry leaders. These communities are designed to give you insights, advice, and answers for your questions. We also have pastoraltransitions.com, and there you'll find articles on everything from messaging transition from the pulpit to what does it actually look like to become a community known by our love in every season. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. Your support helps us extend our reach and communicate this message. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Shalom.